morning I want you to join me turning to Psalm chapter 2, the second Psalm, chapter 2. starts out asking a question. That question is, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Verse 4 says that he that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The idea of, of God laughing at all the stuff that's going on in the world today, knowing that He's going to have them in derision. And derision, basically, the definition is, is, is mocking, is laughing. Man may think that He's in charge. Man may think that He is in control. But we know from God's Word that that is absolutely, positively not the case. And when I read the scripture, I can't help as, as God witnesses all this going on on the face of the earth that he's just shaking his head and laughing. Because that's pretty much what that scripture tells us. For we're certainly living in trying times. We are certainly living in difficult times. Psalm chapter 4 just right over from that, the fourth psalm, not chapter, I guess it's the Psalm 4. Psalm 4, verse 7 says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for Thou, Lord, only makes me dwell in safety." you glad we have that promise? I mean, the world is kicking against the pricks. The world is shaking its fist at God. The world thinks it's in charge. And God's Word tells us that it's, He is the one who puts that gladness in our heart, regardless of what takes place. He is the one that we can rely on. He is the one that's our high tower. He is the one who is our refuge. He is the one that makes life living each and every day of our lives. See, I think it's imperative. I think it's necessary for the church, the body of Christ, to come to the point where we're not focusing anymore on all the craziness and the confusion and the evil and the, the strange, strangeness that's going on in the world. But as we see all of that, what we can actually glean from all that's going on what we can decipher from all that's going on is the God that we worship is long-suffering. The God we worship, the God we love is patient. He is merciful because if it were me, I'd have smoked this long time ago. I would have said, I am fed up. I'm, I'm just going to end this here and now. But he doesn't do that. He keeps loving. More importantly, he keeps saving all those who turn to him. Hallelujah. Now, August the 16th, 
I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm working on it now, and I, I uh, encourage you to be here, have your neighbors come. Uh, I'm going to preach a sermon, and the title of that sermon is Alice in Wonderland. And you go, why Alice in Wonderland? And it's because, folks, I feel like I've fallen down a rabbit hole. And as Alice says in Alice in Wonderland, nothing makes sense anymore. Well, there's only one thing, only one thing that makes sense anymore. But I'm not going to tell you today what that is. You're going to have to come August the 16th and listen to what it is that really makes sense. But I want you to consider this is part one of that sermon, Alice in Wonderland. Because something does make sense. But with all that's going on, I, I've, this past week, I've, I've been thinking about two Old Testament prophets and what they endured and what was taking place during their time of prophecy. One of the prophets is Nahum. The other prophet is Habakkuk. And what they prophesied, what they preached, what they heralded, I think it sort of fits the whole idea of what I'm trying to get across today, this morning, is it's not the situation, it's not the issues, it is the response of God's people. I think that's what's critical today. It's not what's going on in the world around us, but what is our response going to be to what's going on in the world around us? What type of testimony, what type of, of witness are we going to be to all the things that are taking place prayerfully, hopefully, that the world is going to see our response, our courage, our determination, our faith, our trust, and go, wow, that's what we want. That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of hope that we want. And then they say, How'd you get that? Where did you get that? And we'll go, I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. And we can share that, that truth. But this morning, I, I want us to talk about Nahum and Habakkuk. Now, Nahum was a, a, a prophet of the southern kingdom, but his preaching, his prophecy concerned not the northern kingdom Israel and not even the southern kingdom Judah. His prophecy was against Assyria. Now remember, it's Assyria that's going to end up taking Israel, the northern kingdom, into captivity. That God is going to use Nineveh. You remember Nineveh? Nineveh is the city that, was, that, that, Job was, uh, uh, that Jonah was trying to stay away from. Because God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to those people because their evil is really evil. Their badness is really bad. And I want you to go to them and I want you to tell them about who I am. And, and by the way, when Jonah went and preached, he was talking to them about a God of judgment, a jealous God that, that was going to destroy them. And remember when Jonah went to them, he'd been in the whale's belly, the fish's belly, three days and three nights, and his countenance was, was basically uh, white because the acids of that great fish had, had caused him to look 
pale and, and, and uh, uh, so when he shows up with uh, looking the way he did, it was, it was startling. So Nineveh listened to him when he talked about the judgment of God that was to come and they repented. Well, this is that same Nineveh. This is that same Assyria. But their repentance didn't last very long. And so Nahum goes to them and says, God is about to judge you. God is about to uh, have his way with you. And basically, with his judgment against Assyria, it was joy and comfort and release, uh, relief to Judah. Judah was seeing Assyria. Assyria was in the process of taking Israel into captivity. And Judah was a little bit concerned, and Nahum said, don't worry about them. <laughs> Judah, you really need to be worrying about your own sins. You really need to be worrying about what's, what's going to happen to you. It's not Assyria that you need to be afraid of. Of course, we know that, that God is going to raise up uh, Babylon to destroy Assyria, and then God's going to use Babylon to take Judah into captivity because Judah's not going to do what God would have Judah do. And uh, Judah is going to go the same direction as his wicked sister Israel went. But anyway, it was, it was Nahum that was standing and, and preaching and declaring God's righteousness, that God's, God's uh, wrath was about to come onto Assyria. And what's interesting about that is Nahum's name means comfort. It means consolation. And as we went through our study several years ago of Christ, uh, Christ of the book, remember that, how we identified Christ in every book of the Bible? You know, in Genesis, he's creator. You know, Exodus, he's deliverer. We went through all, you know, all of the books. Well, here in, in Nahum, what we discovered is that uh, Christ is our stronghold. He is our stronghold in the book of Nahum. And that's his message to Judah that all this that's going to happen, trust in God. Don't shake it, Assyria. Assyria is going to come, and they're going to try to overthrow you, but they're not going to do it. They're going to come, and they're going to, they're going to have their swords. They're going to have their chariots. They're going to have their power. They're going to have their might. As a matter of fact, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he goes to Hezekiah, and he tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, well, actually, he sends his spokesman down to tell Hezekiah, you might as well just lay your swords down. You might as well just go ahead and, and give up. And God, through Nahum, says, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Because God's going to show himself powerful on your behalf. And they're not going, Assyria is not going to have its way with you. So Nahum's name is comfort, it's consolation. It, 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 the whole message of Nahum was to um, provide hope to the nation of Judah. In spite of the enemy, in spite of the overwhelming odds, that the what seems to be unsurmounting odds. You know, and the, and the nation of Judah would say, oh, where can we turn? What can we do? Look what... Assyria has done to, to Israel. It, and by the way, you know one of the things that ended up being Judah's downfall? 
And we look at this and we study it and we, we go, why in the world would they do that after these promises from God? But Judah uh, was enjoying some peace and tranquility. And here comes Syria and Israel, Israel, beating on the door of Judah and rattling their swords and brandishing their uh, weapons. And what Judah does, instead of trusting God, is you know what they do? According to uh, 1 Kings, I think it's 1 Kings 16, 17, 18, you can read the story, is they turn to Assyria. They make an alliance with, uh, alliance with, Syria, uh, uh, with Assyria. Assyria, you help us against Israel. You help us against Syria. And what did the king of Assyria say? Oh, okay, but you know all of those precious things you have in that temple there? You know all of those valuable knickknacks? We want them. We want them. And they said, okay. We're going to trust you, Assyria, to keep us protected. Where God had said, I'm your shield. I'm your defender. I'm the one that's here to strengthen you. I'm the one that's here to defend you. That's what they should have done. But instead, instead, they turn to Assyria, and now by this time, they're shaking in their shoes because, sure enough, Assyria is on their doorstep. But Nahum prophesies. Nahum preaches against, against them. Now, these were different times, but they were still difficult times. A different enemy, but still evil. Of course, we know who the enemy is, right? Satan, right? So when I say a different enemy, this was Assyria, not... Well, I'm not going to say what I was about to say. But anyway, Satan is still the head. He's, he's the enemy. Different times... Still difficult. Different enemy. Enemy still evil and is bent on destruction. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. It's the same God who encourages us, who tells us to look to Him, to know Him, to trust Him, to rely on Him, that He is our stronghold. And in Nahum, that, who, that is who Christ is. He is our stronghold. Habakkuk, and we'll get there in just a second, but Habakkuk, he is going, he is a prophet of the southern kingdom, but he's going to be prophesying many years later to Judah, not so much aid and comfort, but you better repent. You better, you better turn yourself around. You better not keep going the way that you are going right now. Um, in Habakkuk, it's, he's preaching to Judah about the evils of Babylon, the one who just put down Assyria. And in Habakkuk, Christ is the everlasting one where Nahum's name means comfort and consolation, in Habakkuk, 
The name Habakkuk means the one who embraces or the one to cling to. And Habakkuk's whole name was a reminder to the nation of Judah that in times of trouble, in times of distress, it is God that we embrace. It is God that we cling to. It's God that we, that we trust. So during this entire time, all of these years from Nahum, God is your stronghold. In Habakkuk, God, He is the one that we embrace. He is the one that we turn to. He is the one that we look to for salvation and for deliverance. Look with me to Nahum, chapter 1. Nahum, chapter 1. And, and, and hopefully this point comes across loud and clear uh, as we look at Nahum's message. Because Nahum started out, and, and you know what? I'm guilty of this. I think a lot of us are. Nahum looked at the enemy, Assyria, and, and, and I don't want to keep jumping back and forth because I want us I want us to make sure we understand what's going on uh, but I'm guilty of doing something similar to what Nahum does and I'll briefly tell you what that is and we'll go back and look at it but Nahum's attitude when he went to God was God get him God don't let him get away with this God squish him God destroy Assyria, how dare, how dare they say these things? How dare they do these things? How dare they come against us? God, you get them. But then God reveals to Nahum exactly what his plans are going to be for Assyria. And Nahum's eyes, his heart, his mind is open to the judgment and the vengeance and the wrath of God, his attitude changed. Oh, God, you can't do that. God, please, don't, don't do that. Nobody deserves that. Folks, we need to understand that clearly. There are times that I just I see things that are going on and I hear things that people are saying and it just makes me so angry and I just say, God, get them. Don't let them get away with that. And we need to understand that the, the patience and long-suffering and the grace of God, it is so wonderful. But I'm telling you something, folks. His wrath, His vengeance, when it is poured out, is something to behold also. And it's something to cause us to shake and to tremble at the thought of what's going to happen to the lost when they stand before such a holy, righteous God. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that when I stand before Him, I stand in Christ. I stand fully forgiven, not in my own righteousness, because there is none. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. There is none. Or ask my children, and they're here today, and that's good. Don't ask my grandkids, because they love me. I'm Mr. Wonderful, right? But when we stand before God, we realize what an awesome God He is, but that awesomeness carries over with His mercy, and He's rich in that, and He's forgiving, but His awesomeness also carries over in the wrath to come. And that should cause us to shake. So, Nahum, 
We just said that. Now let's, let's look at it. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. And I go, yeah, yeah, you better be careful. And God says some things to Nahum. Verse 3, the Lord reminds Nahum, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. In other words, he's not going to allow the wicked to get away with it forever. And folks, this thing we need to make sure people understand there is a payday someday. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? See, God knows what's coming. And He laughs. He holds them in derision. He ridicules. He mocks. Verse 5, the mountains quake at Him, and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? Can I answer that real quick before we go any further? Those who have been washed in his blood. Think about it. Those who have been redeemed. Us. That's who can his fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And that wasn't the message of God to Nahum. This is Christ in the book of Nahum. In the volume of the book, it's written of me, declares the Lord Jesus. And here is where we see Christ, that he is good. He is the stronghold in the day of trouble. And I'm here to tell you, regardless of the dispensation, the God you serve, the God you love, He is your stronghold in the day of trouble. I have no idea what's coming. As a matter of fact, nothing makes sense. Just ask Alice. She was right. that She fell down that rabbit hole, except for one thing. And we'll talk about that 16th. Verse 8, Nahum tells, but God tells Nahum, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. By the way, that prophecy came true. Tigris was flooded and pretty much did away with uh, Assyria, and that's the way Babylon was able to, to come in. Verse 9, what did you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. Nahum listens to God. Nahum takes God at his word. And it causes him to tremble. It causes him to focus. 
on the power of Almighty God. Verse 12, chapter 3. All the strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first striped figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall to the mouth of the eater. Behold thy people in the midst of these are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thy enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Drink thy waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brickland. There shall the fire, the fire, and here is God's talking about Nineveh. He tells him in chapters, verses 16 through 19, that what's going to come upon Nineveh, and again, he's talking, he's talking to Nineveh here. He's not talking to Judah. He's talking to Nineveh, and he is saying that they, they are going to receive the full wrath of God. Habakkuk, on the other hand, he is now preaching to Judah, the one that Nahum was, was saying, take comfort that God's going to protect you from Assyria. But Judah went the same way that Israel went Habakkuk comes along, and Habakkuk tells them, um, you, you've, got, you've got to trust God. You've got to trust God through all that's about to happen. In the book of Habakkuk, we find God as the embracer. We find Him to be the one that we are to cling to. What this prophet does at the end of his prophecy is similar to, similar to, to, to Nahum, is that he, re, he realizes that regardless of what happens to the nation, what hap, regardless of what comes upon them, Habakkuk tells Judah that the just shall live by faith. That the just are the ones are to trust God through all of it. Habakkuk, whose name means clinger, whose name means embracer. God set him up in order that he would declare to Judah that he is the one to trust. The key, script, the key scripture in Habakkuk is Habakkuk chapter, Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. And all through Habakkuk, we find that the world is falling apart, and God's message to them is, and, and it was dangerous. They were shaking at the, at the thought of what Assyria was, uh, or what Babylon was about to do. And God's word to them is, the just shall live by faith. The circumstances that surrounded them, it was frightening. But God's message to them was, the just shall live by his faith. 
the circumstances are out of control. We can't make sense of what is going on. Nothing makes sense anymore. But the just shall live by faith. When there's seemingly as if there is no hope and we can't make sense, we live by faith, trusting in God's sovereignty, trusting in God's might, trusting in God's salvation, trusting in His plan, trusting in His purpose, realizing that He is the one who invites us to come and embrace Him and trust in Him. He is the eternal one that we can safely trust in. We continue to see throughout Habakkuk, just as we saw in in Nahum, it's all about God's long-suffering up to a point. It's all about God's forgiveness. It's all about the love of God toward His people, though awful failure, God still provides salvation. He still provides that love, that mercy. Even, and and by the way, when Judah was finally taken into captivity by Babylon because of their unbelievable wickedness, and you, you go to Ezekiel to find out exactly what all was going on in Judah, and Judah was doing exactly what had been going on in Israel. And folks, there was child sacrifice, there was anything and everything you can imagine that was contrary to the righteousness of God. His people were involved in doing it. But even when God allowed Babylon to take Assyria captive, when God allowed Babylon to take Judah captive, He was still merciful. He was still gracious to His people. He was still loving He was still providing salvation and showing mercy during all of those times. Look at Habakkuk chapter chapter 1. See, and Habakkuk pretty much does the same thing as Nahum does. Maybe even more so. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou shalt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are they that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment never goes forth, for the wicked doth comp- compass about the righteous therefore wrong judgment proceedeth proceeds from from man Habakkuk is seeing all the stuff that's going on and he's saying Lord how long are you going to allow all this rioting Lord how long are you going to allow all this spoilage Lord how long are you going to allow men to be so evil so wicked and Lord how long are you going to allow that to happen God's reply to Habakkuk in verse 5 of chapter 1, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Verse 9 of that chapter, 
And they shall come all for violence, and their faces shall sup as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand, and they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be scorned unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. And Habakkuk says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O magnify God, thou hast established them for correction. Kind of makes you wonder if a lot of the stuff that's going on today, God's not using it to correct our attitude, to change what we think is important when it comes to serving God. In this, in this world. Maybe God is allowing a lot of the things that are happening today to be a reminder to us that we are ambassadors, that this is not our home, that we're just a passing through, that we're not to get too settled, we're not to get too comfortable, we're not to get too happy being here. You ever thought about that? That all that's going on is a reminder to us who love God that this is not our home. That there is more to come, but we have a purpose while we're here. And are we carrying out that purpose of sharing His grace and His mercy? God tells him, there's coming judgment. There's going to come a judgment. And when that judgment comes, the righteous... The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as, he, as the waters cover the sea. And I read that and it tells me that the purposes of God are not going to be thwarted that the heathen rage, that people imagine a vain thing. They think man thinks he's in charge. But God's purposes are not going to be thwarted. And we can take comfort in that truth. Verse 19, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake. In other words, that worships false idols and things that are not God. Woe to him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple, and let all the earth keep silence before him. Here in the book of Habakkuk, as Habakkuk prophesies to Judah about the things that are coming about God, he understands that God is merciful, and that's what he asks. Habakkuk, that's what Habakkuk asked God in chapter 3 as he realizes all the things that are going to happen. God says, woe, God warns. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Habakkuk says to the Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy, remember mercy, that they may deserve what they're about to get. But Lord, Remember, remember mercy. Habakkuk prophesies 
during the last days of Judah. He sees the sin that is rampant. He sees what's going on around him. And even during the revival times, like under uh, uh, Josiah and under Hezekiah and under Asa, even during those revival times, they were short-lived and the people continued to reject God and reject His law and turn away from God. His own people that had seen the hand of God so often. And Habakkuk, he initially cries out for recompense and he ends up praying for mercy. And the reason for that And we need to remember this. Knowing the terror of God, what do we do? We persuade men. Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Oh, well, that's Old Testament. (laughs) Paul. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May we remember that during these times of such trial, such hardship, such confusion, such difficulty, as we see things that are going on around us, and we say, God, get them. God, don't allow that to happen. I mean, there are so many. I'm not even going to get into that. Maybe we'll on the 16th. There's an attitude. Maybe some people would call it a righteous indignation against that which is sinful, that which we reject, that which we just shake our heads at. But we need to remember that when the full measure of God's pending judgment is poured out, it is going to be a wrath and a judgment that is not something that we would want to wish on anybody. And we need to have that same attitude. And I think Habakkuk concludes his prophecy. He starts out with a prayer. Basically, I mean, he starts out saying, Lord, you're a God of vengeance. Lord, you, this is what we expect you to do. And in chapter 3, he ends with a prayer. When he says, in wrath, remember mercy. In closing, turn, turn to back chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. God has been speaking. God has told him what's going to come. And in chapter 16, or chapter 3, verse 16, when I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Lord, I don't want to be part of this. I like easy life. I like the fun-filled life. Lord, I don't like the fact that the Cardinals had to cancel their games. 
I don't like that they're not playing. Lord, I want to get my life back to the what it was. But what if? What if there are a lot of folks that are right on the verge of by faith trusting Christ? And this is the thing that's going to cause them to instead of looking down and looking at all the activity and all the fun things that are going on in their life, all of a sudden causes them to stop and go, wow, what's going on? What does all this mean? And you're there to share with them what this means when it comes to their relationship with, with Christ. That I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up into the people. He will invade them with tr- his troops. In verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, and this is a backer talking about things that are going to happen in Judah. He's kind of trying to quell their thinking. Or not quell their thinking, but kind of ease their minds. He tells them, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now, if we wanted to bring this up to date, if we wanted to change what Habakkuk is saying here in modern times, you know, although there be writing that we don't understand, Although there be no jobs, although the economy be crumbling, although the stores may be bare, although you might not be able to go into a store, who, all of the things that you can imagine that are going on today that makes life so difficult, here's God's message. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. That needs to be the attitude of believers. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. Not my bank account. Not even the freedoms that we feel at times are being slowly sucked away. That the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. In other words, the Lord is my strength. He's going to be the one that enables me to climb higher. To jump and ascend to the high mountains, to the place of safety. He's the one that provides consolation. He's the one who embraces me and invites me to embrace him. And I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. We can depend upon God's provision. We can stand upon God's word. We can look to Him for salvation, though all the days be difficult, though all the happenings be dark. God's word still stands true, and He invites us to trust in Him. Not only that, real, clo- real quick, closing. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6.
Verse 10. Finally. Paul's words, not mine. Finally. My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. When we read that, and we go a little further and we talk about putting on the whole armor of God, and we go, yeah, let's put on the whole armor of God. Let's, let's, let's preach sweet, kind, loving sermons. And it is sweet, it is kind, it is hopeful. And we are to put on the whole armor of God. But there's a reason that it's in the Scripture. It's the reason it's there. And that is to encourage us and to warn us and help us to understand that we had better put on the whole armor of God, that we better be strong in the Lord. What did we think? that was coming. We've been saying, Maranatha, we've been getting giddy about the coming of the Lord. We've been saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But do we truly understand what that implies? Do we truly understand what that means? That perilous times shall come? What did we think was coming? That we never, yet we never thought that we would have to put into practice that directive? Did we, did we think we would never have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Oh, well, that's for someone else. No, folks, as we get closer and closer and closer to the end, being strong in the power of His might. That is a directive that you had better adhere to. Putting on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the cunning devices, the wiles of the devil. It is written to us here in 2020. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. God's Word says that there's going to be perilous times did we think that, well, that applies to other people. Maybe that's 100 years from now. And it may be. But I don't think so. But, but regardless, regardless, we take comfort in who we are in Christ. Regardless, the just shall live by faith. Regardless, we embrace our relationship with a merciful, living God who loves us, who has provided salvation to us, and we rejoice in that hope all the days of our lives. Whatever takes place, whatever happens, my God is in control. He is not a block of wood. He is not a stone. He is not whatever it is that man worships today, that's not him. He's not that. He is living and he listens and he cares and he directs and he directs us to live by faith, to get excited about eternity and get excited about these days in which we live that our lost family members, that our friends, that people that we care about just might be receptive to hearing the gospel of Christ.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and as we bow before you, we, we hear and we listen to the message of Nahum. We listen to the message of Habakkuk, even though they were years apart. Father, the truth of their word comes out, comes ringing clearly that you are our consolation, you are our comfort, you are our stronghold, you are our tower, you are our refuge. Oh, Father, you're our Savior. And we rejoice in the truth of knowing you. And Father, I pray here this morning that each and every person who's gathered, they know you. By faith they have trusted Christ as Savior, that that important issue has been settled for all eternity. And Father, help our faith to grow. We thank you for the promise that you've begun your work in us and you're going to perform it. That Father, we have been sealed into the day of redemption. We thank you for all those security verses. We thank you that eternal life is ours. We come before you acknowledging that we don't deserve it, but Father, in your love and mercy, you provide it, and we worship you and we thank you for it. But Father, I pray that every person in this building here today knows that heaven is their home, that eternal life is theirs, not because they're good, not because they're honest, not because of their works, not because of their own endeavors, but because by faith they believe, they believe that Christ died for them, was buried, and rose again. Father, they by faith believe the good news, the gospel. Father, we thank you for that plan of salvation. Now, Father, Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. And as you give us understanding, help us to stand on what you've revealed to us through your word. Each and every single day, every hour, every minute of the days that you've given us. Father, may we be counted faithful in service to you. And we pray these things in the precious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Amen.